Big spending Joe Biden's back at it again with his Bidenomics and his lowering health care costs. And I know that's probably a little more partisan than I usually am. But this one, I get what Joe Biden thinks he's trying to do in lowering the cost of drug prices. But is it going to be effective? Is calling it negotiations with drug companies when it's really not a negotiation accurate and truthful? Our guest, David B. McGarry, has an article in the Washington Examiner, and he's here to talk about his analysis of the new negotiations that are taking place with drug companies. And we will talk about that right after these words here on The Chris Spangle Show. We run on the value for value model here on The Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means, do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills, you're also going to get ad-free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed of all the past episodes. And there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like I am about to do right now. Thank you so much to our $100 a month members, especially Vincent Pykel, Matthew Durbin, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, and our good friend Reinhold. Thank you so much for supporting us. And we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today. David, I want to compliment you on your article in the Washington Examiner, Joe Biden's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad drug price controls. I think I know how you feel about this subject based on the title. And thanks so much for being here with us today to break this complicated subject down. Yeah, thank you, Chris. I disapprove. Yeah, I can tell. Just to remind you, David is a policy analyst at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance and a Young Voices contributor. So let's get started. It's It slipped under the radar because all this uh, policy stuff falls under the radar at this point. But this is, I think, actually a pretty big deal. Can you give us a, a brief summation of what Joe Biden has done in the pharmaceutical industry? Sure. As everyone will remember from last summer, or perhaps not remember from last summer, since it seems like a million political years ago, the Inflation Reduction Act, which Joe Biden championed and the Democrats passed, um, provided essentially that the federal federal government would, quote unquote, negotiate with pharmaceutical companies over the prices of drugs to Medicare recipients. And Medicare is essentially federally subsidized insurance for old folks. Now, the, pr- the trouble with this program is that they're not actually negotiations that are going on. We can get into the, the, into the specifics later, but from a 30,000-foot perspective, basically the federal government has set up a trap for pharmaceutical companies, which are by, by no means always ang- and, uh, they're by no means always angelic. But at the same time, the, the federal government ha- in this situation has set up a trap for pharmaceutical companies in which they simply have to agree to whatever prices the federal government sets. And specifically, they have to agree to whatever prices that the president's administration sets. This isn't as if Congress set one price for every single drug. The Biden administration unilaterally with multiple layers of scrutiny uh, removed gets to 
set prices that the pharmaceutical companies essentially have to meet, which in the long term, from an economic perspective, will lead to less investment in less investment in pharmaceutical drugs in life saving pharmaceutical drugs, and longer wait times and less availability for the patients that need these drugs. All right. So very concise, clear, detailed answer. That was very good. Let's go back to the Inflation Reduction Act, because it would seem to me that I, I don't know what that bill was. It seemed like they just threw a whole bunch of stuff in. Why was this part of the Inflation Reduction Act and what does it have to do with reducing inflation? There's very little to do with reducing inflation. The, the title is, if I don't know, the Republicans were to call a border bill the Funding Puppies and Unicorns <laughs> Act of 2023. It's just, a, it's just a name that they were able to do some budget shenanigans that are easily debunked that basically say that at some point the act will reduce inflation long term. But again, as I said, these budget shenanigans were in fact easily debunked by economists who pointed out that these that the any kind of reduction that was supposed to happen within a decade wouldn't actually play out if you look at things realistically. Essentially, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really the scaled-down successor to the Build Back Better package that failed to pass, if you can remember that that debacle, what the Inflation Reduction Act did is instituted a whole host of essentially subsidies for clean energy. That was the main part of, of the bill. It was also a very large bill. So as you can imagine, all sorts of different interests and all sorts of different different factions got their specific policy priorities shoved in there. But one of them was these, again, drug price negotiations. I actually got a text today from the president himself. If you've ever made the mistake as part of your day job as a policy wonk to sign up for the president's text blast, I feel your pain. And I'm sorry for you. And I hope that I can get some of your sympathy too. But anyway, the president basically texted me this morning to tell me that the 10, the 10 drugs that his administration had first selected for these price controls, they had all decided to come to the negotiating table, which as I said, is a complete is a complete distortion of reality to call what they have agreed to in negotiation because they really didn't have any a choice in the matter. Can you explain that? So why aren't they able to negotiate? Sure. So the Biden administration has given pharmaceutical manufacturers essentially two choices. They either can agree to these prices that that have been set from the federal government and basically sign off saying, we say that these are fair prices, or they can opt out. And essentially, if they opt out, they're either subjected to a extremely, extremely large and, and, and punitive fine. They call it an excise tax, but it's really a fine for not agreeing to go along with the scheme. And in fact, this fine is so dramatic that the, when the CBO scored the, the overall program's uh, uh, fiscal impact, it zeroed out the fiscal impact of the fine because they knew that no one would ever actually pay it. Because again, it's it's too burdensome. Um, Wasn't it like and, a thousand percent of the fair market value of the drug or some Yeah, once, once you went... Once you calculate it, once you calculate it all the way down the road, we're looking at something like 1900%, I think was the up was the upward estimate. And moreover, the only way to completely bow yourself out of this system as a drug company would be to leave Medicare and, and Medicaid. And at this point, the federal government is such a large buyer of pharmaceutical drugs, that's simply an economic impossibility for manufacturers. So they, the, gov- the federal government has bought its way into a very persuasive, if not dominant buyer's position in this market. And now they're using that market leverage and excise taxes to essentially force pharmaceutical companies to do whatever they want. So how much market share does Medicare and Medicaid command? 
Yeah, it's pretty large. I think I saw something, The if I'm going to say around, I'm going to say, actually, I know I'm blanking on the exact percentage. I believe it's over a third. It could be well over a third, but I just, for accuracy's sake, since the exact figure is slipping my mind, I will hold off on giving a, on giving a specific number. Let me, I think you may have put it in the article because it sparked something in my brain. I can't find it. Yeah, but it was, it, it's a fairly large percentage and obviously when you're dealing with the federal government does every every does everybody over 65 go into medi medicare medicaid at this point medicare is the over 65 or can you opt out of medicare do you know yeah, that is another question that i'm not entirely okay. sure the answer to I think you can opt out, but most people don't because like my dad just turned 65 and he waited seven months to get a knee replacement because it was going to be so much cheaper than the insurance that he could afford. So yeah, people aren't able to, that was always the argument against Barack Obama's Obamacare, right? You can't really, you can't negotiate with the federal government. They just have all of the market share. So I, I guess really the real question, David is why you're a heartless, cold man. I was at the pharmacy about a month ago and I asked, and I'm going to just start asking this and I'd love for people to do this and let me know what you hear, but what's the most expensive drug you've seen come across the cashier's desk here? And they said $15,000 a month for an HIV medicine. And this person pays it. And I'm like, I cannot imagine, like I was complaining uh, this woman put me in my place, actually. I was complaining about, I was like, oh, man, I didn't realize this drug was $120. And she goes, it's not 15000 is it? <laughs> Which, not good customer service. It's the worst CVS in all of the nation. That's unconscionable, almost, to have a drug that costs that much. How could you, David McGarry, want somebody to pay that much medicine or people who have insulin and need insulin and it's going to keep them alive and yet it's a thousand dollars a week sometimes right aren't you just being cold and heartless and not and fighting for the pharmaceutical companies by not wanting this reform to go through i will defend myself against that charge sir. all right because i'm just um, listening to the audience and they're saying you're cold and heartless and mean they may be right about that. However, I don't think that applies to my my policy preferences here. I don't want people to pay that much money. But one thing I will point out is that there is such a thick and viscous web of regulation that's been placed over the healthcare industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the insurance industry that it has driven all of these prices up. Granted, whenever you're going to pursue, whenever you're going to produce pharmaceuticals, you are going to have high costs. It's it's an inherently costly thing to do. However at the place that we're in with overregulation, it now costs billions of dollars in 10 to 15 years just to bring a drug to market. Pharmaceutical companies have to maintain upwards of 60% margins on the drugs that they do actually market in order to account for all of the failed drugs that, that they never get to make money off of. And in order just to keep about a, just under a 5% overall rate of return, the government is already, and I, and I think your audience would be, would be sympathetic to this. The government has already caused so much havoc that has inflated prices that I don't think that more involvement, especially with a economically foolish tool such as price controls is now warranted. And we've seen other countries institute price controls. And for example, Australia has had problems where their patients wait on these crucial medicines for 
long after American patients actually have access to them. Um, we've also seen, as, as I also referenced in my piece, we've, we've seen analyses and meta-analyses that basically say when you forcibly lower the investment dollars that go, or excuse me, when you forcibly lower the profits that pharmaceutical companies can make, you're also going to lower the money that they return to investment to develop new drugs. And so while it may sound heartless to, to oppose slapping around these supposedly giant, supposedly terrible pharmaceutical companies, we actually have to look at the economic reality, right? The question here is not, can we do what sounds good and what feels good to us and maybe what cuts some good political promos for our next re-election campaign? The question is what policies will actually do good and make sure that people have access to more affordable medicines sooner and also have access more quickly to innovative products that are coming down the pipeline. So what do you think will be the fallout of this? Uh, Let me ask this. What 10 drugs do they select and how do they select those 10 drugs that they're now going to negotiate with? Yeah. So this is another actually this is another issue. Um, I won't list off all 10 drugs here, but I'll I'll say that the process that the bill set up is a very opaque process that gives a lot of discretion to the Biden administration. So. There's actually a, a, a great op-ed by a pharmaceutical executive in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks back on this topic, basically pointing out that his drug company is has been selected for this program and that the price of his drug, I want to say, was around $50 at this point. So not only are – or I should say it is not as if the Biden administration is targeting – the $15,000 a pop drugs, they're also targeting the more relatively reasonably priced drugs. Again, I think they're doing it mostly, but probably some good hearted reasons, but also for political purposes. I think that telling seniors that you're going to lower their drug costs is a great way to get seniors to vote for you. And as we know, seniors are the uh, highest, the, the, or I should say the, 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 bracket of voters that vote most when we're looking at age. So this is a huge political winner uh, for the Biden administration, besides whatever good that that Democrats honestly and wrongly think that this policy will do. Yeah, I'm taking one drug that is a newer drug, and it just hit the generic threshold. And it's $400, $500 a month because it's a new drug. But they have a coupon. So I, I don't know how they make money, actually, because I'm sure everybody has this coupon. They give you like $1,200 back or some amount of money. But I've never had to pay more than $10 between insurance and then this coupon that they give you to lower it down to 10 bucks a month. And the drug maker is trying to fight allowing this to go to generic, It's even though it's past the seven years mark. So a lot of these guys are giving you coupons and g- making their drugs affordable to most people. Which makes you wonder where they're making up the cost because you, you I've heard that argument before. Look, we're not going to have as much money for innovation, but a lot of times when you talk to folks like there's coupons or the drug maker will work with your insurance agency to make sure that you can actually get the drug. Yeah, so I won't speculate on exactly what the circumstances are surrounding that drug, but I will say part of this weird Goliath of a extended healthcare industry that we've erected in our country is that people much of the time are locked into working with insurance companies. People are locked into sort of preset channels that are not really great for them and from which they cannot escape, right? Another, uh, it's, it's a little bit of field, but another example is employer, employer subsidized health insurance because of the way that the tax code is written. It's actually more, more economically sensible to get your insurance through your employer. But then again, this sort of orients the, orient, orients the entire healthcare market towards going through employers, which make 
it makes the lives of workers harder in all sorts of ways. For example, it's harder to switch jobs because you're not going to be able to take your insurance covenant, uh, your insurance covers with you. So there, as I said, there's all sorts of ways that we, that we set up a few relatively rigid pathways for people to get whatever they need to get, which really don't allow for innovation. They don't allow for them for market forces and they really create a lot of frustration. And to, to into your point, they also create they 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 solidify the positions of the entrenched and dominant players in the market. Right? The more regulation you have, the harder it is for a new company to come in with a new business model with a um, with innovative solutions to make things better for consumers. They say it correctly. Uh, regulation is regulation is regressive, meaning that it benefits those at the top and it hurts the people at the bottom who don't have the excess resources or lawyers or money to fight their way through the bureaucratic process. All right, it's 2034. We are both sitting here wiser, white-haired, reflecting back on the last 10 years. So it's 2034 and we are sitting back here. You have you and you have white hair, I'm wiser. And we're thinking about this piece of legislation, what's changed? How many drugs are now regulated? What does the industry look like? And what do prices look like for Americans? Yeah, I, I really think it's going to, I think this program is going to expand well past the 10 drugs. I think that Democrats are becoming more and more comfortable with these sorts of outright price controls. Price controls were forbidden for a while because we realized under presidents, Nixon comes to mind, obviously during the Great Depression, price controls weren't accepted in polite economic society for quite a while simply because they so obviously failed. So I think we'll see the same things that price controls have led to before. We've seen shortages, higher prices, because actually manufacturers will introduce their products at higher initial prices so that so that when they, the government doesn't allow them to raise, raise those prices or adjust prices, they... Um, they they still make their money. There's all sorts of there's all sorts of unforeseen consequences that that come out of policies like this. But one thing I will also say, and I think this is a bit of a bigger picture thing, price controls and and their failures will create market frustration. This will then be turned into political political energy with which to move towards a honest to goodness socialized system, or at least a much more heavily regulated system than we now have. And if we're looking a full decade out to 2034, that is probably the end game that I see us arriving at, or at least I see a lot of folks steering us towards. All right, David McGarry, shameless self-promotion time. Where can people follow your work? Follow me on Twitter, David B. McGarry. You have and a great name, by the way. You have like, I couldn't go by Chris M. Spangle, but you have a good, like a William F. Buckley or a, a Supreme <laughs> Court justice name. Perfect for a writer. I'm always jealous every time I see you on Twitter. Oh, thank you. All right, great. Follow him on Twitter. We'll put his Twitter in the uh, show notes. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for listening here to The Chris Spangle Show. Again, if you got something out of this, the best way you can support the show, support writers like David who are you know, building and in the middle of their career, is to share this episode and say, hey, follow these guys. They're really smart. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. <laughs>